Welcome to Beyond, conversations with artists, makers, explorers who have gone outside of the norm to create their own true world, to sing their own precious song. Each of us is born with a song inside, but most will die having never sung it. Imagine if, as a little child, instead of being asked, what will you do when you grow up? What will you be? Or what kind of job will you get when you grow up? If instead you are told, now is the time to listen. As you grow, listen for the sounds of your song. The song that comes from your blood, your bones, your people. Listen for the melody, the verses, the tune. And when you hear your song, sing it. Imagine that kind of world. That's the kind of world I'm devoted to building. I am your host, Daphne Cohn, the creator of multiple online programs, courses, and within a community for artists, makers, and writers dedicated to the courage and practice of singing their own song. I ask you, are you ready to sing your own song? Are you ready to go beyond? My guest today is Andrea Scher. Andrea is a wonder seeker. She looks for it in the easy moments, a kiss, friends gathered together, traveling to other countries, and she looks for it in the hard moments, beset by anxiety, in the midst of divorce, struggling to stay afloat. We talk about this, about turning towards the hard and making space for all of it in order to give wonder the breath and space to arise. Wonder is a habit, a skill, just like eating well, exercising, meditation, or any other tool you use to stay sane and find your equilibrium. Just like with any habit, it helps to have specific ways of cultivating it. In Wonder Seeker, Andrea's newest book, she offers 52 ways to discover wonder. Andrea is an artist, author, and a big believer in the transformative power of creativity. She's a photographer, author of an award-winning blog, and several books, including her latest one, Wonder Seeker, 52 Ways to Wake Up Your Creativity and Find Your Joy. She teaches e-courses and retreats and hosts the Creative Superheroes podcast. Some of the things we talk about in this conversation are, what is a wonder seeker? How wonder has helped Andrea work with anxiety and panic disorder? Turning towards the hard to encourage the joy. How one guerrilla act of activism done in wonder and play went viral and changed the conversation. Proof of how powerful we are. You can learn more about Andrea and the book Wonder Seeker at andreashare.com and you can catch up on all past episodes as well as the show notes for this one at daphnecone.com. May this conversation inspire you to go within to the raw, wild expanse of mystery that is your beating heart, vibrating body, pulsing life in order to go beyond to utter the sacred, your words, dance, painting, art, to sing your song. Welcome, Andrea, to Beyond. It's really great to have you. Thank you so much for having me, Daphne. You're welcome. We're going to talk about different things going wherever the conversation takes us. But the focus of the conversation is your new book, Wonder Seeker, 52 Ways to Wake Up Your Creativity and Find Your Joy. We'll start with wonder. 
And while this is a very basic question to start with, I think a really important one, if you can talk about how you define wonder and how that definition came to be for you. Mm, Thank you so much for asking me that question. It is like the most obvious question. And it's also like a complex question and it's a somatic question. And the way I think about it is, well, well, first I'll say that the dictionary definition that I, that I love says something to the effect of a feeling of surprise mixed with admiration at the sight of something or, or the experience of something beautiful or unexpected. And I think that word unexpected is really important because wonder is something that kind of finds us. It arises in us and it arises in us in a moment of presence, in a moment of beauty, in a moment of deep connection, either with someone else or with nature or even with ourselves, with spirit. And it's this feeling of the somatic part for me is like this intake of breath, like, oh, wow. And it's like the moment is sort of suspended in time. And even for maybe even just a couple of seconds, you are in connection with something mysterious and larger than you. And there's a reverence that comes with it. So there's all these things sort of um, woven into this moment. And it's like a love for maybe your life or a reverence for life in general or beauty in nature. And there's a gratitude that is sort of, it leaves you with a feeling of gratitude. It's interesting because, you know, you have a book about it. It's something that is in the conversation, not, not to a huge extent, not like words like presence or gratitude. It's not uh, something we talk about quite as much. And it's, I'm curious to hear from your perspective, like why, well, one, as I mentioned, like why, why wonder for you, but also what is it about wonder where it seems somehow a little harder to hold, like to, to bring into our lives, maybe a little harder than presence, a little harder than gratitude, like a little more elusive somehow. Right. Exactly. Because wonder, like I was saying, kind of finds you and you, it's not transactional. You can't just put yourself in front of the Grand Canyon and expect to experience wonder. You might not, you might experience irritation because it's so hot and you were just fighting with your family in the car. Right. So exactly. So you're right. So the question that I was answering throughout this book. And maybe for many, many years, I've been asking this question of like, how do we create better conditions for wonder to arise or for joy to arise in us? And that's where I think it's kind of, um, it's one of the the side effects of living in a wake life where you are practicing presence and you're practicing joy in, in the, in the form of, uh, gratitude and noticing beauty and all those things that we practice. It's like, we're kind of, um, I guess, creating fertile soil or something for wonder to arise in us. And it makes me think of 
like these old women that I know, like these vibrant old women. And whenever I meet them, I'm like, oh, I want to be like you. And they just look at the world and they say, isn't it wonderful? It's like a kind of like a Mary Oliver, right? Like, isn't it amazing? Aren't we lucky? And I think that is the response that I want to have to the world. Okay. A couple of things. First, it's fascinating to me because you were saying, okay, wonder is a little bit maybe more elusive because it's something that happens to you and it's the byproduct of living a more awake life. And yet, um, as children, yes, it happens to them, but it happens so easily. Like the it, little kids are just filled with wonder, like everything. <laughs> it's like it can take an hour to walk 10 steps because everything is fascinating to them. Right. Uh, so as we get older, it almost feels like we've outgrown wonder. Mm. why like what does it do that it feels so important to bring it back and and really actively cultivate it Mm. well I think one of the reasons why it feels elusive to us or maybe not important or like that's for children is because new experiences are a great way into wonder So when we're traveling, for example, and we're seeing new things, we're actually, we're we're primed for wonder in the sense that we probably left behind our daily routines and our jobs and all the routines that we normally have. And we also have an intention, however conscious or not, to experience beauty or magic in some way. That's why we travel. And or one of the reasons why we travel, we also are wandering when we're traveling, which is something that we don't normally do in our regular lives. So we're, we're awake and we're, our eyes are open and we're like, what's, what is this place? I'm curious. I'm excited. So we're primed for wonder when we're traveling. And then when we're in our regular lives as adults, we're like, yeah, been there, done that. I know everything. Everything is, you know, blah. Or there's this word languishing that people keep mentioning um, in the media lately. Like there's a sort of languishing happening culturally. And I think wonder is kind of an antidote. Well, wonder practice is an antidote to that feeling because it's consciously practicing, like, maybe I don't know everything. Maybe I could take a walk outside my door and do the same, you know, walk around the block I always do. And if I'm asking myself, what's beautiful or interesting that I've never noticed and maybe carry my camera with me, um, what would I actually see? What if there's all this beauty and magic hiding that I'm just not seeing, that I'm not awake to? Um, so so the book, the, the reason there's all these prompts in it is first of all, I'm just, I think in prompts, I'm kind of like a, I like to have experiences. I'd like to invite people into having an experience and all of these experiences kind of, they put on your, it's like putting on your wonder goggles. It's like, okay, let's put on our wonder goggles and see if the world looks a little bit different and maybe a little bit more like how we saw the world when we were children. 
There's also a certain amount of, and I think you mentioned this in the book, but a certain amount of vulnerability and wonder because there's that willingness to acknowledge maybe I don't know, or I don't have it all figured out. And we're really trained to know, to have answers, to have figured things out. So there's some sort of letting go of that and a willingness. It feels like almost to expose oneself to this not knowing and not having it figured out. Mm, I am so into this idea of not knowing. And you're right. One of the prompts is refuse to know anything for 24 hours. And so it's like, don't Google anything, just practice, like being literally in the, in the verb form of wonder, which is to wonder and to be curious. And it's, it, that is really linked to creativity and, and the surrender that is creativity, which is like, I don't know where this is going. Like this conversation is a, a creative it's a co-creation with us right now. We're dancing in the moment together and we have to be present for it. And we have to let go of, well, I want to make sure I say this and I want to make sure I sound cool or whatever, or I sound like an expert. And I think there's something so beautiful and organic about letting go and then new things get born, new ideas get born. And if you're a creative creature, which all of us are, um, but someone who wants to be more creative or innovate, I think it's crucial to be able to step into that space. Yeah, it's true. And even just as you're talking about with the conversation, that's something that I often am really aware of in in a conversation like this is that element of wonder of letting go of whatever question I might feel I need to ask for the one that wants to be asked and to keep being willing to do that for exactly what you're saying so that it's not about, Oh, I'm asking the right question or I'm asking the one that sounds smart, but I'm asking as close as possible the questions that come from my heart of what I really most want to know So there is, there's wonder in all of it. One of the things was you had written, I define a wonder seeker as someone who actively looks for things that delight them. This is something you said, a wonder seeker is curious and kind, vibrant and open-hearted. A wonder seeker doesn't step over what's hard, only look on the bright side or put on a happy face to avoid feeling what's painful. A wonder seeker knows that by turning toward what's difficult, by working with what's, what's true, even when it's hard, we become more brave and resilient. I think that's felt important for a couple of reasons. One, when we talk about joy and we talk about wonder, it can seem very naive and um, often inappropriate. Like feel like, well, that's not an appropriate response to what's happening in the world. Mm. And, and so here, when you talk about it as, It's also a turning towards what's true and what's difficult. And so how, how do you use wonder to turn towards the, the difficult? I think it goes back to presence. This is how I think of it. So if I am, if I want to, basically, I want to expand my range of what I can hold, like how much joy can I hold is also based on how much 
of my own difficult feelings I can hold? How much of my own suffering can I be with? It's like, goes back to that, um, that Brene Brown quote. That's so great. Um, where she says, we can't selectively numb emotions. Mm -hmm. If we were for numbing the pain, then we're also numbing the joy. And so I think it's important to know ourselves so intimately and be willing to be with um, our own loneliness and our own grief and all of the other complicated things that we feel and be kind to ourselves and compassionate to ourselves that way. And somehow that makes space for these other feelings to also find us. So, so another, that's yeah. part of it. Mm-hmm. So by having space for all of it, by not having to just fix or put a bandaid on the things or ignore the things that are hard, you're saying that that then expands our capacity for the wonder. Exactly. Yeah. And then I also want to add that we are neurologically wired to scan for what's wrong in our environment. Um, as a survival mechanism, it's like a holdover from a time when we could be eaten by a tiger. Um, I talk about this in the book, uh, Dr. Rick Hansen here in Berkeley, who's a neuropsychologist, talks about the negativity bias and how we need to have these practices around gratitude and around um, you know, tracking our own joy and our own wonders so that we can level the playing field because we're going against this part of our brain that's that's hardwired. So if we can create a neuro pathway that's also scanning for the good, for what's working, for what's beautiful, for what we appreciate, then we're actually like balancing the scales a little bit. Mm-hmm. And also it just makes me think of when you said the, the older women who are like, Oh, look how beautiful, look how, look, this is, they're so filled with wonder. It's like, yeah, they've, they've lived a long time and they've had a lot of probably challenging things happen if they've lived a normal human life and they've probably had a fair amount of challenging things happen. And that at some point it's like, Oh, with all of that, look how beautiful this is. Yeah, there's a, a poem that I had written down in college on the back of a notebook, and I didn't really understand it at the time, but it resonated in some way. And so I carried it around with me for years, actually, and I no longer have it. And I remember very little of it, but the essence of the poem was having tasted sorrow. I say instead, cool day, lovely fall. And it's like this whole, the whole poem is how much he thought it was great to, to talk about the pains, but then having lived through the pains, he realized how amazing the simple beauties are and how, and, and that cultivates his own sense of wonder in that way. Yeah. I love it. That reminds me of this old Zen story that's been sort of told and retold in different ways, but Um, I don't know if you've heard this one. It's like, it's like this person is like falling off a cliff and they're sort of grabbing at the vines and they realize, you know, that one. And like the mouse starts eating the vine and they realize, oh, I'm about to die. And they see a wild strawberry just within their reach. And so they reach and they, they crunch the, you know, crunch the seeds in their mouth and taste the sweetness. And like, there's something I feel like there's something kindred in what you're sharing. Yeah, absolutely. 
Absolutely. Yeah. It's just that it's like knowing, oh, I'm about to die. I might as well enjoy the beauties that are here. Yeah, exactly. Right. And we're all about to die. That's right. right? Not like imminently necessarily, but yeah. So uh, speaking, I want to stay a little bit with the challenging emotions before we move to the practices and the wonder and, and joy, because just what you were talking about, the word languish is showing up a lot, how there's a lot of desperation, it feels like, like a lack of hope that people feel are feeling right now. There's a lot of issues. There's a lot of challenges facing us. And, and so to begin to talk about joy, I feel like just to really hold those and speaking even from your own personal experience, because I know that anxiety has been something you've spoken about a lot. Like this is not a a private thing. You've been public around it. And I'd love to hear like how, how wonder has helped you with that and also helped you be one more present with your own anxiety, your own pain and how it's also helped to shift it. Mm. Yeah. So long before I was medicated for an anxiety disorder and a panic disorder, it was decades of just being in this body that felt like a, um, I felt like an electric current was running through my body all the time. And if you touched me the wrong way, or I heard a loud sound, like it was almost physically painful at times. And because I live in Berkeley and people, you know, tend to like frown on anything that isn't quote unquote natural. I thought I could get through that with, you know, yoga and all these other things. So the good thing about that is that I took on all these mindfulness practices and, you know, yoga and all these different things that were really healthy for me and healthy for my body and ways to, ways to cope. Um, they didn't solve the problem, but I did notice at during some of my darker moments of depression that if I took a walk with my camera, I was living in San Francisco at the time and I just wandered and took photos. I was just so totally in the moment and happy and in a kind of flow and where my symptoms used to be, I couldn't get a full breath. I could actually breathe for the first time, maybe that day. And so I thought, gosh, there's something to this. There's something to, maybe it's moving my body on a walk. Maybe it's the, the visual meditation of asking myself that question and letting wonder find me. Um, and create creative practices have always been my go-to. I think I did that as a child, as a way to cope as well. I was always drawing and painting and taking photographs. And so I think I'm just oriented that way. And so those are the practices that I reached for, for my own healing um, when I was really desperate for relief. Wow. That's, that's amazing actually, because we will often think I'll, I'll think like, Oh, I'm not feeling good. I'm feeling sad. I'm feeling lonely. I'm feeling whatever I'm feeling anxious. And then just try to either make it go to go away, do something different, but to think of actually to go out and to seek the beauty, to actively seek the beauty as a tool for calming the nervous system 
and and changing the perspective. It's such a beautiful mm. tool to have. Yeah. And to frame it that way. And I think now, so again, st- just staying with this for one more, one more question, like in this time where there's a lot of social injustice, where there's the climate crisis, it's very easy to feel like the most responsible adult thing to do is to put all our attention on what's wrong and work to make it different. To, right. And, and what I hear you saying is like, it's kind of the same thing as oh, I'm just going to put my attention on where my anxiety is. But instead, that maybe one of the ways that we meet all of this is by seeking out the beauty in the world, seeking out the wonder and letting that change us from within so that we can really effectively meet all these challenges on the outside. That's right. I think it makes us more resilient, I think, when we can tend our own joy, when we can tend our own heart so that we can stay open. Because if we are coming from this place where we're angry all the time and outraged all the time and feeling helpless, because a lot of us feel that way when we listen to the news. And so I mean, for me, it's, it's a complicated question, of course, because I don't consider myself like an activist person and I don't like, it's, it's too much for my nervous system to be at like a big, like a rally or some, something that looks like activism, how we sort of traditionally think of it. But what I, my service is to bring like a kind of tending of our spirits in the midst of all of the complexity and all of the messiness And um, that's, I think, what I'm trying to do is just bring, um, it's an invitation to see actually what's beautiful and what we want to protect as opposed to what's wrong and what we want to fight against. Yeah, that's beautiful. I actually think this is a great time to share one story from, from the book because it speaks to all of this, which was the story that you shared about your ex-husband, Matt, in 2005 with taking over a parking space. Would you share that? Yeah. So my, yeah, my ex-husband, Matt Passmore is like a, is, he's a creative genius for sure. And he and his friends had this idea, like, we want to make some sort of commentary on the fact that there's no green space in downtown San Francisco at that time where there's not enough of it. and everything in the city was, you know, designed to privilege cars and this sort of life that they, that was not the life that they wanted to make there. They wanted a life full of like green space and bicycles and all, they had a whole other vision. And so just as a guerrilla art project, they decided to take over one parking place in right in the middle of downtown San Francisco on mission street. And they were going to build a public park for only two hours for the amount of time that the, the meter would allow. So it's a very funny, playful project, but they went all out. They laid sod in this parking place. They put a park bench, they put a tree, they (laughs) had a sign. It was so great. They had a sign on the meter that said, you know, 
feed the meter to keep the park open. <laughs> and so like the visual was so powerful. Um, I took photos from across the street. We sort of hid, we sort of set it up and then we hid across the street. And, um, you know, it's like car, 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 you know, graffiti, whatever, and then little park and then car, car, car. And people actually used it really quickly. People were like, oh, all right. And they had their lunch in there and they took off their shoes and they had this fresh grass. And it was so delightful and unexpected and a moment of wonder that they had created for all of these, you know, business people downtown that it, it caught fire. And I think Gavin Newsom was the mayor at the time. And he called them immediately when he found out who did the project and all these organizations wanted them to do more of them. And it actually evolved into these things called parklets that are everywhere. I think in every city now, where, per, where parking places have been now taken over permanently as public green space, just those little micro parks. And um, it's a beautiful kind of activism that I just think that, gosh, the world needs more of that kind of delight to, um, to add to the conversation. Yeah. And it's funny because I knew the story. And even as you're telling it, having known it, I was still getting chills because I think there's a number of things about that story, uh, which just what you're saying, like using wonder as a way to be in the conversation and as a way to open us up to caring about something from a place of delight and from a place of hope and beauty and being inspired to create change from there. And the idea that they're like, let's just take one parking spot for two hours let's just do it. Let's just see what happens. And then it evolves into something so huge. It's not like they set out to have it become this massive movement or to create parklets all over. I mean, it's amazing when you think about that and how one action done from such a beautiful place can create yeah, a really playful place. And I should yeah. also add that I think, you know, we had all been going to Burning Man for many years by that time. And I think the the culture of Burning Man um, also informed that project because Burning Man is this highly creative place, but it's also this place of like um of like delight and um and wonder. Oh my god, it's full of wonder. So I just want to um, add that it was no accident that it was in San Francisco that that was imagined. Oh, that's beautiful. It's, it's really beautiful. Another thing that you talk about with wonder, as you said, it's through our bodies that we experience wonder. And I wanted you to say more about, about that piece of it, especially because we have a very thought-driven culture. Right. Okay. So this might be a good moment for me to ask you this question that I love asking people. It's my favorite question. Feel free to borrow it. Anyone who's listening. Okay. (laughs) Um, But I'm going to ask you, Daphne. So can you think of a potent memory of wonder, either one of your first memories of wonder or just a potent memory for you? Yeah. So, I mean, it's amazing that you asked that because I had something happen this morning. So, Mm. um, I'm very like, I'm in love with wonder as, as a way of living, as an idea, as a whole thing. And, um, but what happened was yesterday I went to the dentist and I did not go well. Like they said, Oh, you're 
severe bone loss. This is not good. Mm. We're sending you to a periodontist. Like it was very gloomy, not, Mm. not just the prognosis, but the way that it was presented was like, we're really sorry. This is such terrible news, but here's the deal. And so I, I left in this space of not just, oh, wow, this is happening, but gosh, like the way that we speak to each other about these things, like this is really horrible. And I'm sorry to be the one to tell you. And so I, I came home and I was with all the, the different feelings that I had about it. And then that evening, um, yesterday evening, I'm standing there by the sink and I'm doing the dishes. I'm like, okay, I've had a lot of friends say to me, oh, have you asked? Cause this is, it's showing up in my teeth, but it's been something that has come up in the past. And so people have said like, oh, have you asked your bones? Like what anything? And I was like, oh, I know I, I should do that, but I don't know. I don't know. So I'm not really doing it. Well, not doing it. And then last night while washing dishes, I was like, all right, bones, what is it? Like, what do you, what do you need? What's the deal? Mm. And the easiest way to share the answer, because the words, it's not like they were so clear. It was more the feeling, but it was like working for a boss who's either criticizing me or criticizing you or saying, well, you're doing a good job, but you could do it a lot better. And if you mm-hmm. just do this, it would be better. And, and this feeling of to work in that environment would be such an unkind place to work. Mm. And it was the sense of this is what my bones are working in this environment. Mm. And they need to know this is a friendly place. They need to know that they're loved. They need to know Mm. that there's a reason to grow instead of shrink. And that was the feeling that I came away with. And I was like, okay, I mean, I've talked about self-love and all these different things, but I'm the only one I can truly love myself. Like I really get that. I, it's like nobody, nobody on this planet can do that for me. Mm-hmm. People can love me, but it's not the same. And I was like, I have to commit to that kind of love. I just, I have to. Mm-hmm. And I went to bed and I woke up several times in the night. And each time I woke up, I was like, I love you. You were like so amazing. Like I just kept like oh, really exactly. building that. And then this morning, I get a package in the mail. Sorry, this is a bit of a long story. I love this story. Keep going. Okay. (laughs) Don't usually share so much on the podcast, but I get a package from a dear friend, probably someone, you know, Carrie Schmidt, an artist. Uh, And she, she had started making this piece of art over a year ago. And I saw it on her Instagram feed and I was like, Oh, I love that. I really want to have a print of that. And and she said, well, I'll send it to you uh, when I finish. I mean, I'll send it to you. So it's like, okay. And that was, that was over a year ago. And then a couple of different times since then, she's like, oh, I got to send that. Like, what's your address? I got to send it. I got to send it. <laughs> like, uh-huh. okay, I'm going to send it to you for your birthday. And then for whatever reason, like she didn't send it. So it arrived this morning and it's a print of this woman. And she named it for me. It's called the queen within Mm. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that that came this morning because that's exactly what I was 
sitting with last night. Mm-hmm. What does it mean to be my own queen? Like to be mm-hmm. my, the, my own love and my mm-hmm. own queen. And now I have this piece of art to put on my wall to remind me of this commitment that I made just last night is like, seriously, it's, I have so much wonder around like, how mm-hmm. does this happen? And yeah, mm, it's so beautiful. there's so many beautiful parts to that story. First, that you were able to be in conversation with your body in such an intimate way and in such a vulnerable way. Um, I think we, we dismiss that stuff because we think, oh, that's like, that's silly or that's stupid or because, or that's too touchy feely and weird or, you know, and like, that's usually an indication for me that I need to go there if I'm feeling like, eh, this like yuck. I don't want to talk to my inner child, you know, that kind of feeling. (laughs) Um, So that's so beautiful, Daphne, and what a gorgeous affirmation and um, kind of talisman for and reminder for that. It's so beautiful. Exactly. So, so let me ask you, when you saw this piece of art and you felt this experience of wonder, what did it feel like in your body? Um. The first thing is like wide open. So there's a sense of just like so open. And then this, like I can feel it even now. It's like I can feel it on the edge of of my eyes because I'm so, it's so easy to be so close to crying because it's just such an mm. incredible, such an incredible uh, moment for me. And um, warm. There's like warmth. Mm-hmm. I feel warmth in my body mm-hmm. and sharing it with Carrie and Carrie's wonder, like she couldn't believe it. So it's also that too, the beauty of that shared experience that mm-hmm. it's like, Oh, wow. That's amazing. Amazing. Right. And it's like, there's this connection, like, I don't know exactly what I'm connected to, but like to the mystery in some way. Right. And there's that that expansiveness that you feel like, Oh, and it vibrates as something big, like maybe for someone else, the art would have arrived and you thought, Oh, it's so beautiful. Carrie's so talented, but you wouldn't have this experience of wonder had you not been so intimately connected to yourself and to your own growth. Yeah. So you asked me how I feel in my body. When you say it's through our bodies that we experience wonder, is it like, do you say that as a way of reminding us to come back into our body? Do you say it to stay awake to the body? Like what, Mm. what is important for you about that? I think I'm saying it just as a way to describe what, what it means to me, what wonder is. And it's like, it's a, it's a, wow, but it's like a, It, it just, it's, it's more than, oh, wow, that's interesting. Or mm-hmm. that's cool. That, that feels very mental, but like a, oh my God. And like chills in your body. Like that's wonder. That's like full on wonder. Yeah. So that's okay. So that's another time for another story. I'll just pull a full, few stories. Cause I have to say, okay, there are so many good stories. First of all, Andrea, you're a great storyteller, but you you have so many stories. Like there's so many amazing stories of wonder. You share a story with a conversation you had with Sark, where she talked about connecting one higher power to another. Mm. 
seems like a good time to share that. Yeah. So I was chatting with her and she just was telling me a story of her own and saying, do you know that you can talk to people's higher self? And I said, no, what do you mean? And she said, well, you, you, you know, maybe you close your eyes, maybe you just get connected with yourself and you call on your higher self. And then you imagine their higher self. Maybe you're in a conflict with someone and you can't actually talk to them um, because it's too, you know, it's just too intense right now, or maybe they're dead, or maybe you'll never be able to because of the conflict, but you can talk to their higher self and it will have an impact. And I thought, huh, I'm gonna have to try that sometime. And then some months later, I was in a very um, hard place around my separation and eventual divorce. And it was just a really tender season. And I needed touch and I needed to be held really badly. And when I was on a walk one day, I thought of this really handsome soccer dad that was always at the soccer field when I went to practice with my kid. And we had been flirting a bit and I thought of him and I thought, okay, I'm going to conjure his higher self and tell him that I'm kind of hot for him and that I really need healing touch. I need him to hold me. (laughs) And so I was just playing with it. It was like a moment of just whatever um, intuition and just sort of playing with this idea that Sark had mentioned. So I told him, I talked to him, I said, okay, you know, I'm really attracted to you. I'm not looking for a boyfriend right now, but I really need healing touch. That's what I'm really hungry for. Okay. So then I get home, I do my thing. And within two hours, this man who had, we were Facebook friends by this time, but we didn't have each other's phone number and we had never communicated via, you know, messenger or anything. He Facebook messaged me and said, okay, so when do I get to see you? And I was like, whoa. (laughs) <laughs> did he, did I actually say that out loud? Did I, like, is there something that I forgot? And, um, I was like, wow, that is, this feels really forward. That is so interesting. And I said, um, I said, what do you have in mind? And he said, well, we can, you know, if do you want to come to my house for tea, how about tomorrow? And I was like, okay, I wonder what this tea date means to him. But I said, yes. And sure enough, I arrive and we have tea and we're talking for a long time in his backyard. And then out of nowhere, he just turns to me and wraps his entire body around me and holds me. And I probably wept because I needed it so badly. And I was also full of wonder, like, how did this person know? Did he hear me? Is he psychic? Like, what the heck? Right. And I asked him later, I said, you know, or I said to him, you know, I sent you a telepathic telegram yesterday and he did not even ask me what that meant. He said, I know I heard you (laughs) and I know. And I thought, well, oh, and the other part of the story that I share in the book is that um, after he held me, he's like, here, come in here. And he laid me down in his bed and he burned things. He waved owl feathers over my body. He did a full on like shamanic healing over my body. I had no idea that he, you know, had any shamanic tendencies at all, but, um, he was just like the soccer dad, but, um, (laughs) there you have it. It was a really magical kind of mystical experience. 
Yeah. So I think it's amazing. And I read that and then I, I shared it with my husband. I'm like, you have to hear this story. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I and love that. He was, he was like, wow. <laughs> like a but it's such an incredible story and really speaks to something else that you talk about, which is, and, and other people talk about this too, but I got it in a different way with the sharing of the story and the way you talk about it, like we are more powerful than we realize, mm. which is this story is such a strong example of that, that you didn't even have to really believe in it. You're just like, yeah, okay, I'll try it. Who knows? Mm-hmm. You know, right. and then to have that happen within a couple hours, mm-hmm. and exactly what you needed was what was given to you. Yeah. It's this, I wonder, uh, so I'm going to ask you this. Uh, do you think that we like, I know from myself, I will, I will shy away from that sometimes. Like I'll shy away from asking for those things, from being that direct. And, and I've wondered why, what is it that has me hold back in my own desires, in my own dreams, and for even doing something like that, where I might hear that and be like, ah, oh, maybe I'll try it. Mm-hmm. Or even asking my bones, like many people had told me before I actually did. I mean, it was months ago that people started suggesting that to me. So do you have thoughts on, on what that is on like why we as powerful as we are, will shy away from that power from, mm-hmm. from exercising it? It's a great question. I shy away from it too. I'm, I'm not always, you know, doing these strange things either. (laughs) Um, (laughs) However, I think that those moments when we are in deep suffering or in a big transition or in grief, we are very open and we're very vulnerable and very porous. And I think those are very, um, they're very, they can be very sacred and holy times when we're perhaps even more available for this kind of, of connection or magic. I know that that was true. I mean, so many, I can think of so many examples of, um, yeah, of, of prayer in a lot of ways. I mean, in a way that that was a prayer. Mm-hmm. And so I think when we're in a really hard place and we're like, you know, show me a sign. Like, I need to know that I'm loved. I need to know that I'm supported. I need to know that I'm not alone. Um, I often get that sign that I'm looking for. And so I think that's one thing is that sometimes it takes us being in a really hard place or a vulnerable moment for us to kind of resort to these things that we've heard about. Yeah. Um, and it, also I think yeah. there's, a, there's kind of like in Harry Potter language, there's like muggle world and there's magic world. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, we get caught up in our muggle world where we're like, we got to get the kids and we got like, got to get to the appointments. And there's all these details that we're holding. And, um, we forget to put on the wonder goggles and step into magic world every once in a while. Yeah. Okay. So that brings me into something else, but first I just want to mention, cause you, it does seem that wonder is a form of prayer. Yeah. I had never thought of it before like that, but when you just, you, the way you spoke of it just now, it's like, wow. You know, Anne Lamott says, I, if I, hopefully I'm quoting her correctly, she says, wonder is the prayer of wow. (laughs) 
So that very there's the Mary Oliver poem, Instructions for Living a Life, Pay Attention, Be Astonished, Tell About It. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's the mm-hmm. whole point, yeah, as, as she says, for living a life. I mean, that's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. So th- the thing I wanted to bring up, though, is um, you had written, because this relates to what you just said about being in the muggle world versus being in the magic world. And I've been thinking about this a lot lately, but then, so what you wrote was for some reason, we tend to value struggle in our culture. We undervalue ease. I want to orient you toward the things that are most natural for you. So when we're in the muggle world and we feel like, no, this is really, we don't have time for magic. It's too, there's too many things and life is stressful and life is hard and kind of almost who are you to tell me that there's magic and that there's room for joy. So how do you respond to that? Mm. Well, it reminds me of when I was writing the book during 2020 and it was such a hard year and it was so scary. And we were all, we were all so anxious and, um, and we were losing people and, it was really tender. And I was writing this book about wonder and joy. And so I have this thought, like, who am I to be doing that? Who am I to be talking about joy and wonder at a time like this? However, I knew that I needed to protect the energy of the book and the offering that the book was. So I was staying, if you will, in the vibration of wonder during 2020 as much as possible. And it was almost like a meditation practice where you're like, you know, you're watching your thoughts and then you're like, oh, I've gone adrift. Let me pull myself back. And so I would listen to the news or I would talk to somebody and I would be flooded with fear or whatever. And then I would go back to my work and I would say, okay, now we're, now we're bringing ourselves back. What's, what else is here? I think that's the, like a really good question, right? Like what else is here in addition to all of the suffering and everything that is terrifying right now? Um, I don't know if I'm answering your question. Yeah, but there's two things. One, that is a great question. What else is here? And, and making space for, well, if there's pain and suffering, then there's also joy and beauty. And, and so where are they? right now but also just this like permission I think is what I'm I'm wondering about because this is something that I have spoken of at different times on the podcast but just really keep seeing how even when I give myself permission there's layers and layers of giving oneself permission and how I can still not quite believe that I get to choose that it's Mm -hmm. And, and so just speaking to the permission to give oneself over to wonder and to joy in the midst of, of so much. Mm. You know, you're reminding me too of, I, I Googled, I so have a class called cultivating wonder that I used to teach. And I, I just Googled it one day thinking, I wonder if anyone else is using this, that particular turn of phrase. And do you know the poet Mark Nepo? Yeah. Yes. Beautiful writer. Oh my gosh. And there was this essay that he wrote called Cultivating Wonder. And the essay was about 
sitting with his father while his father was dying and how much wonder he experienced in that intimacy with him in those final days. So totally not what I expected to read. And, and also just this, this reminder of like, yeah, like wonder, the sacred beauty lives inside of these experiences. That's not like rainbows and unicorns, right? But there was this beauty in this intimacy that he got to experience with his father in those last days. That reminds me of what you were saying earlier about having the space for the things that are hard, but it's kind of taking it to a whole nother level of not just creating the space for it, but that there's actually wonder by turning towards you're creating an intimacy with your own experience. And from there, wonder can naturally arise. Right. Yeah. I mean, even during, I mean, during the, the, the first, that first year of the pandemic, there was an intimacy with my neighbors and with my community I had never experienced before. There was this softening of, of whatever barriers culturally had just been constructed and were just there. And I loved it. I loved the simplicity. I loved that I, there were no invitations to say yes to, and life got stripped down and there was nowhere to go. And we were all just walking around the block all the time and (laughs) connecting. And I was like falling in love with their dogs or pets and finding out about their lives. Like I know all of my neighbors now and I feel so connected to my little neighborhood. And I, there's a kind of safety and beauty in that. And yeah, I, I just think that there's inside of every hard experience, like we get to have our suffering and we don't want to step over it at all. It's so important to meet it with as much courage and compassion as possible. And also know that there will be beauty in it too. Yeah. It was kind of scary to say that. Because. I don't know. I'm noticing that I'm, it's, it's, it's like, it's scary to, to, to suggest to people that there might be beauty and what they're experiencing as hard as suffering. And so I just want to say as someone who has suffered plenty, (laughs) um, you know, I think our joy is really hard one, like our authentic joy comes from tending our spirit in a really intimate way. It's beautiful. I find it too. I find it scary to say things like that because I think you never want someone to feel that they shouldn't feel what they're feeling or that somehow they're suffering, like to diminish their suffering in any way. And yet there is a courage in acknowledging that there's beauty there. So speaking of saying what's scary, I want to touch on this piece of it because having published this book and I mean, you've been putting your art out into the world for a really long time. You've had a blog since I think like 2002 or something, like really, really early days of blogging. So you've been, you've been sharing for a really long time. And I still find that there is a voice all the time in my head as I go to write something and then share it like, well, does, seriously, does anybody care? This is, feels like so self-centered to even be like 
sharing about myself in this way? What are we doing? And I'm wondering how you met that, if it still comes up, first of all, but it sounds like it did, like, who am I to write about wonder right now in the midst of the pandemic? And how you meet that and and then put it out into the world, because I do feel like wonder somehow is part of that conversation. Mm, That's a great question. Um, I know that that voice is (laughs) really rampant in my own mind. I think as far as the book is concerned, I think it's just, it, it was such a joy to write it. And uh, it was a, a dream that I've had for probably my entire life, but very actively for about 25 years. I've been, you know, writing book proposals and, and wanting this, this, not this specific book called Wonder Seeker, but so many iterations of, of this, this book. And um, I felt so grateful writing it that I wasn't in that place so much Um, only kind of toward the end when I was writing the conclusion, did I think, God, like, when is this book, what moment is this book going to land in? Like, is it going to be worse in a year? Is it, are we going to be through this? Like, how will it land in the conversation? And I thought, you know, we can all use a little wonder right now. And, um, I just wanted it to be a little sanctuary of ease, a little oasis for people to remember like, oh yeah, this too. Like that question, what else is here? There's this too. And, and not only can we all use a little bit of it, but just as with the example of taking up a parking space that it can actually lead to some of the change that we're looking for. Right. The, Last thing I want to ask you here is one of the things that you said, and you, you alluded to this earlier, you said in the same way, it takes practice to bring ourselves closer to wonder, delight, or gratitude. It requires a softening of the heart an openness and a willingness to see what else is possible. It's not a clenched fist, but an open hand. And that's another thing. It just, it's easier it feels at times is again, something that I'm really looking at a lot in my life. It can feel so much easier to, to clench the fist mm-hmm. and to close off. And it can feel like it takes so much more courage to open the hand, open my hand, open my heart. So I'm wondering how you practice that when mm-hmm. that comes up for you. Mm, it's so true. Well, one way that it, 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 you know, it comes up for me nowadays is that I used to share really openly and I was blogging regularly and telling, you know, personal stories about my life all the time. And I feel afraid in a way that I didn't used to, I feel afraid of people saying mean things on social media and just feels like a, um, like it doesn't feel as safe out there. And so that definitely comes up for me. Um, I think this is just how I roll. I I'm a, I'm a, a gentle creature. I'm an open hearted person who loves to I'm curious about people. I love to share stories. I love to do, have conversations like this. I love, you know, this kind of intimacy, like, going to a party. Like I don't need to talk to everybody, but if I can talk to one person in a deep way, like we are, I am happy. 
Um, so I think I'm just made this way. Um, hmm. As far as, um, I'll just say, cause it's something, uh, something that I've noticed as I've gotten older actually is, um, it's almost like my being doesn't have the energy this it's not as easy in some ways actually to stay closed in terms of it's very easy to be closed, but in terms of the energy that it takes, it's like, there's this rising up in me. that's like, no, you're here to speak, to soften. And it's almost more exhausting at this point in my life to keep closing. Mm. And, and I hear what you're saying about social media and, and it feeling like a less safe place to share so intimately. I think that's true. I think it actually is in a lot of ways, a less safe place just because of there's just so many stories of it, but, um, and yet there's something about saying, staying soft and, and opening back up. And if not, for the world, at least for oneself and what it gives oneself. So just, yeah, fascinated around if that's been part of your journey or something that you're looking at. Mm, I like how you responded to that actually. And um, I think you're right. As far as like, I'm, I'm always oriented toward ease. And I think there's ease in being my authentic self and telling the truth. So I've always been to attracted to like our mutual friend, Lori Wagner, who's a writing teacher and a massive truth teller. I mean, there's takes a muscle to be that truthful, a writer for sure. Yeah. But I tend to surround myself with people like that. I feel safer amongst people who are not pretending. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's how I learn. I learn from people telling me the truth about their life and, they're real stories. And so I guess it's like, yeah, who has time for, I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah. But I hear that. And I, I like that, that it's just that you feel safer around people who are telling the truth. And so the importance of that, of just recognizing that. And I think that is a part of wonder. I really do. I feel like as people share the truth of themselves to me, that's like, that's a source of joy. And that's a source of wonder for me. I feel much more closely connected to what it is to be human and the magic of being human. And maybe I'll just add, you know, you know, not to be too hard on my, my parents, but you know, they're very, they're very secretive. They're pretty closed down. I don't know a whole lot about them and their stories. And they, they were a bit paranoid about you know, strangers, like people outside the family or whatever. And, you know, it's like, it it may be like epigenetic sort of, you know, Holocaust sort of stuff moving through these generations and, and really good reasons for that. And I, I really had like a, a kind of a visceral, like pushback on that. Like, I don't want to be that way. I don't want my life to be that small. I don't want to I want to trust people. I want to welcome people. I want to live with an open heart. And it's okay if I get hurt sometimes because of that. I'm willing to pay that price to live in this particular way. 
Yeah, that's beautiful. And it's also, you can see that in, in wonder seeker, because all of these practices are so many creative practices that speak to that invitation that speak to that opening and, and inviting people in and, and inviting the world in. But then there's a lot of practices that are actually really inviting individuals in. Right. So it's, that's beautiful. I love that. As we wrap up here, there's a few things and I'll ask you another question, but before I ask the last question and close out, is there anything that you want to speak to that we haven't? No, gosh, this has been such a juicy conversation. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay. So the first thing is letting people know where to find you and your book. So the best place to go is andreashare.com. And that's A-N-D-R-E-A-S-C-H-E-R.com. And you can also go forward slash book if you want to go straight to Wonder Seeker. But it's it's a very easy to navigate site. I mean, you'll find it. And and I think going to the website, you can see the courses, like the current e-courses that are available. You can see the, you can find Wonder Seeker. You can learn about Andrea's coaching and all that she offers, like all the many things that she offers. And um, so that's the best place to learn more about Andrea. And it's a beautiful site. It's really Thank you. full of joy. And this is coming out just a few days after Wonder Seeker was published. So you can get it now. It's out. So you can you can buy it and have it in your hands pretty quickly if you want. Um, and I, I really want to just say one thing about the book before I say the, the gratitude, because the book is first of all, full of a lot of very colorful, just joyful images, photographs. Are they all photos that you've taken? They're like 99%. Yeah. My photos. Yeah. So full of a lot of life. And then as the title says, 52 ways to wake up your creativity and find your joy. So there's so many practices in there from really small ones that you might do in your home in your own little space to ones out in the world that you can do like out walking, taking a walk to ones that are even bigger where um, you're inviting other people into it or holding like story bowl parties and different types of things. So there's just so many ideas for cultivating wonder and they're good for oneself. You can do it with your family. You can do it with children. You can do it with friends. So it's, it's a great way. It's a great way to enter into wonder and to just wake up the creative part of, of oneself in a really joyful way. Mm. So that's my few words on your book. You did a brilliant job. Oh my gosh. It's so it, my heart is so full just hearing you even describe the book because, you know, this is one of my first interviews. You're one of the first people to see my book and read my book. And, um, and it is like having a baby, like a book baby, yeah. where I'm like, oh my God, my, my baby's having its life out there. And it's just amazing. So thank you for that reflection. You're welcome. And then the, the next part is a gratitude. And the thing that I'm grateful for with you is I know that, like you said, you've had your fair share of challenging times. You've been through challenging situations. You're a human. So you've just, that's part of life. And then you've just had different things. And, and as you said, even through so much of your early years, having to meet and, and move with anxiety, being this constant presence. 
And yet you have stayed so devoted to joy and to wonder and to the courage. I really do want to acknowledge the courage that I think it takes to speak so openly about wonder and joy and to encourage it in this world and to stand for it because it's very easy to privately believe in joy, but to not want to speak too loudly about it for fear of the repercussions of what people might think about taking a stand for that, especially now. So I see it as a tremendously courageous act to not just personally commit to wonder, but then to make it a mission of yours to teach courses on cultivating wonder, to encourage people to dream big through one of your offerings, Mondo Biondo, and then to write a book all about the power of wonder. And, mm. and so it's, I'm, I'm very grateful to you for that. Mm, Daphne thank you so much I've got like my eyes are closed and my hand is on my heart and I'm like just taking in as much as I can of that beautiful acknowledgement thank you so much you're welcome and then the last question is if there is as we go a particular practice that you'd like to share for beginning to tap into a little more wonder in our lives Mm. Let me see. I'm going to look at the table of contents and see if one stands out to me. Well, this one's fun. This is the first place my, my eyes just landed on. So for me, because I'm a, a color lover, whenever I go to like Home Depot or something and I land in front of the paint chip aisle, it is like that, oh, of wonder for me every time. Like, I just cannot believe it. Like, are you kidding me? All these colors in one place, like what? And so if you are like me and you are a color lover, um, I invite you to gather a bunch of those paint chips and you can do what I call a paint chip poem. So you use the names of the colors as love of lines of verse and you sort of stack the colors and create a poem from the different um, color names. And it's just like a really, just like a fun sort of word game in a way, but it has this really beautiful visual element where you get these sort of hues of colors. And um, I think it's, it's one of the invitations that just sort of clicks you into like, oh, my wonder goggles are on. I'm in a different mode right now. I'm, I'm playing. I'm not doing what I normally do and seeing the world how I normally see it. So that would be my invitation. That's today. great. And it's a great one because it's anyone, like anyone can be a poet in yes. taking all the different, like the words are there for you and you get to arrange them and however you want and see the magic that reveals itself. That's right. And sometimes it's like reading tea leaves. You sort of put this poem together and you're like, oh, that's like a note to my, my higher self right now or something like that. So you can go wherever you want with it. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Andrea. This was wonderful. Oh, such a pleasure. Uh, What an amazing conversation. Thank you. You're so good. You're so present. You're so willing and, ah. Thank you. Uh, You're welcome. I'm Daphne Cohn, and you've been listening to the Beyond Podcast. 
If this conversation has moved you or inspired you in some way, take time with it. Let the words and the wisdom settle in. And if you feel called to share this episode with someone else, please do. For all show notes and past episodes and to learn about all offerings, go to DaphneCone.com. If you want to subscribe to this podcast, you can do that over on iTunes or Spotify, and you can review it over at iTunes. Thank you for listening.